I want to begin this morning by, by sharing a story with you from a preacher I cannot commend, but uh, I think his story might help us th- this morning. Years ago, before transatlantic flight was common, a man wanted to travel to the United States from Europe. The man worked hard, saved every extra penny he could, and finally had just enough money to purchase a ticket abroad on a cruise ship. The trip at that time required about two to, or three weeks to cross the ocean. He went out and bought a suitcase and filled it with cheese and crackers. That's all he could afford. Once on board, all the other passengers went to the large, ornate dining room to, to eat their gourmet meals. Meanwhile, the poor man would go over in the corner and eat his cheese and crackers. This went on day after day. He could smell the delicious food being served in the dining room. He heard the other passengers speak of it in glowing terms as they rubbed their bellies and complained about how full they were and and how they would have to go on a diet after this trip. The poor traveler wanted to join the other guests in the dining room, but he had no extra money. Sometimes he'd lie awake at night, dreaming of the sumptuous meals the other guests described. Toward the end of the trip, another man came up to him and said, Sir, I can't help but notice that you are always over there eating those cheese and crackers at mealtimes. Why don't you come into the banquet hall and eat with us? The traveler's face flushed with embarrassment. Well, to tell you the truth, I had only enough money to buy the ticket. I don't have any extra money to purchase fancy meals. The other passenger raised his eyebrows in surprise. He shook his head and said, Sir, don't you realize the meals are included in the price of the ticket? Your meals have already been paid for. This man did not realize his meals had been paid for. And as as Christians, we, like this man, often don't realize what's all included in our salvation. So, from our time together this morning, my hope is that we can put down all that remains of us trying to, to earn our salvation, that, that we would eradicate all the ways in which we set ourselves up as a higher tribunal than God, that, that we would cease in joining the accuser of the brethren in accusing ourselves, that we would trust in his presidential pardon and receive his verdict of freed, freed indeed in Christ Jesus freed from the burden of effective law-keeping. The law of Moses was and is good, but Christ's law is better and sweeter. And if we do this, Jesus becomes not something to be attained, but someone to be enjoyed and delighted in. And our worship of Him and with Him and for Him will be more powerful and fresh because of it. So follow me this morning by seeing the gospel promise, the law problem, and the law solution in Galatians 3, 7 through 14. Go ahead and turn there if you want. Um, Galatians 3, verses 7 through 14. If you're using a pew Bible, it will be on page 973. Before we... Before we dive into the text, though, we're about at the halfway point in the book of Galatians here, so I kind of want to recap um, where, 
where we've been up to this point um, in this letter of the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. The Apostle Paul's reason for writing this letter to the churches of, of, in Galatia, it was to combat the false teaching of a sect known as the Judaizers. These were Jews who, who professed faith in Christ as the Messiah, but insisted that, in, that circumcision and the keeping of the law um, had to be added to that faith um, in Christ to be justified, to be declared righteous, to be declared not guilty by God. That's what justifies mean, means. And they said it wasn't just Jesus. It was also, you, you also need to be circumcised and, and keep the law of Moses. <clears throat> and they were also calling into question Paul's calling as an apostle. So in chapter 1, Paul begins by defending the exclusivity and divine origin of his gospel and his being called and set apart as an apostle by Jesus Christ himself. He says in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. Um, and he goes on in, in verse 6 to say that he is astonished that they are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another. And anyone who preaches another one, may he be accursed, may he be condemned. And, and in verse 12 in chapter 1, he says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on into chapter 2 and further defends his gospel of salvation by grace through faith and the validity of his apostleship by recounting his meeting with Peter, James, and John in Jerusalem. And at this meeting, Paul set before these known and trusted apostles of Christ the gospel he had received and preached and was given the right hand of fellowship by them, by all three, further validating his gospel and apostleship. Then in 11 through 14 of chapter 2, he tells of how, how even Peter was led to act hypocritically by the influence of these Judaizers by refusing to eat with Gentiles. And it's here Paul showed us the importance of, of corrective church discipline. Paul confronts him and rebukes him for that, um, that the, the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Then in verse 15, Paul begins to move into his theological defense of the gospel, stating that justification comes by way of faith in the person and work of Christ, not by works of the law. <clears throat> and, and observance of the law, if it could be obtained through observance of the law, then Christ's work on the cross was for nothing, that there was no purpose in him being crucified. And then now we're moving on into chapter 3. And, and using a series of rhetorical questions, he gets the Galatian believers to examine their own experience. He gets them to ask themselves, did you receive the Spirit and come to trust on Christ by observing the law or by hearing the gospel? And, and the answer was obvious. That's why he asked it. It was by hearing with faith. And now we arrive at our passage for this morning. Paul has just had the Galatians examine their own experience of the gospel. Now he's turning their attention to the Scriptures. And he's going to show them that salvation by faith alone in Christ alone has been God's plan for saving his people from the very beginning. It, that it wasn't as if observance of the law was his plan A for salvation, and then that somehow failed. And so he moved on to plan B and sent Jesus. 
the apostle is going to show that from the Old Testament scriptures, from the patriarchs to the prophets to even the law itself, Christ has always been the means by which he would justify his people, both Jew and Gentile. That salvation is by faith alone, and Christ alone is both old and new. So read with me again, or read with me, first of all, the text here. Starting at verse 7, Galatians chapter 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. But Christ, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. May God bless the reading of His Word. Uh, remember that I stated before that, that in, in verses 1 through 6 of this chapter, uh, Paul was trying to get the Galatian believers to examine their own experience, how they came to receive Christ and be justified before God, and to show them the error of the Judaizers. In verse 2 and 5, he says, Did you receive the spirit of works? Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then in verse 5, he says, Does he who supplies the spirit to you do miracles among you? And do miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. And like we said, the, the answer was obvious. They did not do anything to receive the Spirit. They heard Paul proclaim the gospel. They heard Christ publicly portrayed as crucified through the external call of the gospel. The Spirit worked in their hearts, and they united themselves to Christ by faith in Him. And in verse 6, he tells them that this was not only how they experienced justification before God, but this was the experience of Abraham also. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And being that God instituted the covenant of circumcision with with Abraham, we can be fairly certain that these uh, uh, Judaizers appealed to Abraham as the justification for, for for, for their way of thinking. But, but Paul is going to show from the scriptures that Abraham was justified before God and before God and the promise of the gospel was given before the institution of circumcision. So read with me again um, verses 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that as those of faith who are the sons of Abraham... And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
Paul cites here two different passages from Scripture in these verses to prove that it is those who exercise faith that are the children of Abraham as opposed to those who obey the law and are circumcised. The first is in verse 6, and it's a citation of Genesis 15.6. If you want to, go ahead and just put your finger there in Galatians and and turn over to Genesis 15.6. I'm going to go ahead and read it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. For your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens. Number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God has has come to Abraham in a vision, telling him to to fear not, that that he was his protector and and that his reward shall be very great. But but Abraham, and as Matt mentioned before, he was up in years, probably around 75, 80 years old at this time. And, And he looks at this current situation and says, what will you give me? I mean, I'm way beyond years of, of producing a child. Look at how old I am, and you haven't given me a child yet. The only possible heir I have is my, my servant, Eleazar of Damascus. And then we see in verse 4 that it, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then God has him look up to the stars, says, Number the stars if you can, because your descendants will be as numerous as, as these. And the scripture says that he, Abraham, believed God, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham simply believed what God had promised. He trusted in the promises of God, and God reckoned or regarded him as righteous. God regarded Abraham as righteous before the institution of circumcision, which comes in Genesis 17, and before even the giving of the law, which would come hundreds of years later. Righteousness was a gift given to Abraham. Abraham trusted in God and his promises and was justified by that faith. And Paul goes on back in, our, back in our text in Galatians in verse 8 to say, The scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And, and in here we have Paul's second quote from Genesis, and it's from Genesis 12. I won't have you turn there this time. But it's where God calls Abraham to leave the idolatry and paganism of his ancestors to go to the land that God would show him. And God tells, tells him, I will make of you a great nation. I will make of you a great name, unlike the builders of Babel who tried to make a name for themselves through their own self-effort. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Here, Paul is using what's referred to sometimes as the analogy of faith. He's interpreting Scripture with Scripture. 
He has shown from Genesis 15 that the one way, the, the way one is justified and declared righteous before God is by faith in God and his promises. And now he goes back to Genesis 12 to show that the blessing that all people groups of the earth, both Jew and Gentile, would share with Abraham was that of being right with God on the basis of faith alone. And there is no greater blessing than to stand justified before the Holy Creator God. So that it so it wasn't the natural descendants of Abraham or those who bore or those who bore the symbol of circumcision that were sons of Abraham. It was those who exercised the same faith as Abraham that were his descendants. This is the gospel. That God is saving for himself a people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and race through faith in what he has promised and now accomplished in the work of Christ. The blessed believers of the Old Testament simply looked forward to, what, to the fulfillment of what we now look back to. So Paul has laid a firm foundation on and from the scriptures that the justified of God are those who trust him as Abraham did. Now he will show the law problem in terms of being justified with God. Read with me verses 10 through 12. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So Paul's just shown from the Scriptures that the blessing of being justified before God comes by faith in God and His promises. Now he's going to show also from the Scriptures that seeking to be justified by keeping the law only leads to being cursed by God, not blessing. To be under a curse or, or to be cursed by God is to stand under His divine judgment, to be condemned by Him. And Paul says that all, everyone who rely on works of the law as a means to receive the blessing of God are under a curse. They are under His divine judgment. And he, does, and he goes on to tell us why this is so. For it is written, for the Scripture says, for God declares... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul is quoting here Deuteronomy 27, 26. If you would, turn again. Go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 27. <clears throat> and Deuteronomy means uh, second law or second giving of the law. And that's exactly what this is. It is a reminder here to the generation of Israelites who are succeeding that generation that failed to take the promised land or are about to pass away as this new generation gets go into the promised land. It's a reminder to them of all that God had commanded them up until this point. And, and, and this verse occurs in a section where Moses has six of the tribes stand on, on one mountain to, to proclaim the, the blessings of God. And he, he has the other six um, tribes stand on Mount Ebal and, and declare the curses of God for disobedience. Right? 
And in verses 15 through 25, um, this is the list of the curses. And and it's not all, it's not exhaustive, but um, it, it just shows for what things would cause a person to be under the curse of God. And and verse 15, he says, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. Uh, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. So on and so forth. Um, Idolatry, dishonoring parents, perverting justice, sexual sin. This is pretty much an adaptation of of the top ten, of the Ten Commandments right here. And the last curse, the one Paul cites, cites in his passage, in um, Galatians, summarizes the whole and emphasizes that the curse, the condemnation of God, falls on those who do not keep all of the law. Verse 26 says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. So what Paul is getting at is that if we seek to be declared righteous before God on grounds of keeping the law, we must keep it perfectly. And he's backing it up with Scripture. Total perfection is the requirement to stand in the presence of the perfectly holy God. And by total perfection, I mean perfection in all of our being, both inside and out. A lot of time, we can think we are keeping God's commands simply by, by not actively sinning. But, but Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and seven teaches us that keeping the law is, is not just simply um, restrained behavior. He, uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. Check, I ain't ever killed nobody. Uh, I'm good, I'm good. But he, Jesus goes on to say, you've hated someone enough to kill them. You've wanted to kill someone. Cursed. He says, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Check. I've never cheated on my, my spouse. Never done it. Jesus says, but you have been with other women or other men in your mind, in your heart. Sin always starts with a desire and then moves to action. And Jesus is saying, though you haven't acted upon it, you still have sinned against God in your heart. And therefore, do not abide by all of his law. So go ahead and turn back to Galatians. We'll pick up in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul says here, it's clear from what has just been said that no one, no human being, past, present, future, is, was, or will be justified before God by the law. For all have sinned and failed to keep all the words of the law to attain to the glory of God. And he cites two more scriptures to clarify this. He says, For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. The first one he quotes here is from Habakkuk 2.4, that the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, Leviticus 18.5 is what he quotes here, says, the one who does them shall live by them. Shall live in these verses. It's, it's mentioned both in 11 and in 12, and in reference to faith and in reference to, to works. 
is another way of saying justified. The righteous are justified by faith. The one who does them is justified by them. So, so Paul is saying that to be justified by God is what is necessary to inherit eternal life, and this comes by faith. And since it is attained by faith, it can never come by the law because the law is not about faith. It's about doing. The one who does them shall live by them. In terms of justification, faith and the law are two mutually exclusive things. So it can't be both and like the Judaizers are teaching. It's, it, they're saying it's both faith in Christ and the keeping of the law that justifies. Paul says, no, it's either or. It's either you are saved by faith in what God has done for you or you are condemned and cursed for what you have failed to do according to the law. For if the law was able to give life, then Christ died for no purpose. So the problem with the law in terms of justification is not so much a problem with the law itself as it is a problem with us. The law is doing what it was meant to do, to reveal our sin, to show us our utter inability to make ourselves right with God and ultimately to show the solution, which leads to my third and final point, the law's solution. Verses 13 and 14. But Christ Christ redeemed us. Man. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit, the promised Spirit through faith. First, these verses tell us what Christ did. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeemed means to to buy back, to, to pay a ransom for. And it was often used in, in reference to, to the purchasing of a, a slave or a, or a prisoner's freedom. Jesus says in, in John chapter 8 that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And everyone, every one of us, all people, have sold themselves as slaves to sin. Each and every one of us has chosen sin as our master, and a price must be paid to release us from our slavery to sin and the condemnation of God that comes from it. Christ has paid the redemption price. And Paul goes on to tell us what that price was and how Christ paid it. So Christ redeemed us. That's what he done. How he done it. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul here, again, uses the Old Testament scriptures to back up his point, And he's quoting Deuteronomy 21-23. Hanging in the Old Testament con- context um, was something that was done after the execution. It wasn't so much a, a means of execution, but it, it was a warning to everyone else that was that this is the consequence, this is the price to be paid for breaking the law. This is what it looks like to be cursed by God. 
and death is the price that must be paid to God for sinning against him. And since it is an infinite and eternal and holy God whom we have sinned against, it is an infinite and eternal price that must be paid. And to remain under the curse of God's condemnation is to remain under it for all of eternity in hell. But, but, the great buts. But the infinite and eternal and holy God has done for us what only He could do. For all who would trust on Him as their justification before the Father, Christ has died the death we deserve for our sin against God. On the cross, He was the propitiation, the wrath-satisfying substitute that has freed us from the curse and condemnation of the law. Just as the new hymn that we just sung by, by Brother Mark De, or Matt D'Amico says, In my place he stood, all my debt nailed to the wood. All my sins washed white by the blood of Christ, my life. For our sake, he the Father made him Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And this is all wrapped up in God's love for his people. I don't know any other reason that, that someone would die for another person who doesn't deserve it other than for deep, deep love. And God has done just that. He has shown his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ redeemed us from the just condemnation of God by being crucified, condemned in our place, paying the debt that our sin deserved. And now he's going to move on and show us for what purpose. Verse 14 says that, so that in him the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The so that's in, in this verse signal that we have come to the main purpose of our passage and all of chapter 3 for that matter. And that is that the promise of God to Abraham to bless all peoples has come to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. That all who trust on Christ will be counted righteous before God just as Abraham was. But the blessing is not only the forgiveness of sins, but it is also the giving of the Holy Spirit to those who trust on Christ. Not only are we counted righteous, but we are made new creations by the indwelling of God himself in our hearts. If you would, turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. This is the last time I'm going to have you turn to another passage. So, Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to read verses 26 and 27. And this is where this giving of God's Spirit is prophesied from the Scriptures. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. 
It is the giving of, by, only by the giving of the Spirit that we can even begin to, to obey God. I will put my Spirit within you and cause you, to, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So not only are we forgiven and can stand before and be declared righteous, but he has given us his spirit to enable us to live for him and love him with our lives. And the spirit is our seal, the guarantee of our inheritance of eternal life. So now what to do with this? First, if you are an unbeliever in my hearing today, I want you to know that Christianity is a religion for people who have blown it with God. And I hope it has been clear from this message that we have all blown it with God. And I hope it was also clear from the message, but if you have come to this realization that you've blown it with God and that nothing in your power can, can right the wrongs you've committed against Him, the Bible simply says to repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. That's what repent means. Turn from your sin and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the master of your life and the one who paid your debt on the cross. Be freed from the guilt of past sins and from the unbearable and unattainable burden of making yourself right with God. Come to know the love of God for you found only in Christ. And if you need help doing that, if you have done it, like Pastor Matt said at the beginning of the service, write it on the, on the card. If you need help with it, if you're not sure exactly what you need to do or, or and all that, write it on the card or talk with Matt at the end of service or Pastor Kurt or any of our other deacons, Ronnie, Danny, Mark, Robert. Just say something to someone. Mention it to someone that you have, you have given your life to Christ or you need help with it. Believers, church, we have the greatest news ever, don't we? That the curse of sin and death has been reversed by the shed blood and resurrection of our Lord. I pray the joy of this truth, this good news, would awaken us in such a way to spur us on to greater evangelism, greater concern for the work of missions, both going and sending. Let us joyfully worship God by taking the blessing of Abraham to our work, to our city, just as Pastor Kurt mentioned here with, with the, uh, the arrests that happened, the raids that happened there, there is a great mission field out there, a great opportunity for us to show the love of Christ and share the gospel with people that so desperately need it, to our country and to the nations, that our joy may be full and that the name of God may be hallowed here on earth just as it is in heaven. So, and so we can have fresh worship of Christ and delight. As I said before, Christianity is not something to be attained, but, but someone to be enjoyed. So we need to put down what remains of our trying to earn our salvation, bask in his pardon of our sin. And know that we are just as free today in his eyes as we will be for all eternity. Sealed with the Spirit, the decisive battle has been won. Though we still wage war against our sin, the tides have turned and your victory is guaranteed. Live with the joy of victors. Faith is our victory. Remember the story of the man from the beginning? 
who sat in the corner of the cruise ship eating his crackers while, while other passengers sat, sat at the table. The Bible describes the last day, the consummation of all things, the wedding feast of the Lamb, where all believers will be gathered together as an all-inclusive meal, the same type in the story of this man's cruise, where the whole true church will sit with Christ and eat. But it's even more gracious than the one with the man and his crackers. For the man in the story had to keep the law and earn his ticket on the trip. But in fact, this trip was bought and paid for by the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's not for sale. You won't be able to pay the tab. Only Christ could. Isn't he good? So will you put your full trust in the gospel today? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your scriptures, for it is from there that we see your great plan of salvation and redeeming a people for yourself. And it is, it is in all of the scriptures, Lord. Help us as individuals, as this church, to, to delight in the gospel more and more each day. Lord, that, that the things you have given us to do, that, that we would not see them as things that we have to do, Lord, but they're things that we get to do for you, that they would be a joy for us, for we know that through them, you're using us as means to bless those who still remain under the curse, under your condemnation, Lord. Give us hearts that that are heavy for those who still remain under the curse, Lord, that through us you might draw your people unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.